Now, go ahead and pull out your message notes. We're talking in week number four of Legacy, this subject of generosity. Uh, I love our church. Our church is such a generous church. Uh, so many of you are incredibly generous. We saw that through the Harvest Festival. Not only of your financial generosity, but many of you brought candy. And how many know candy? Woo, that ain't cheap. How many bought some candy like, yo, what? Uh, you, you set up your cars. You showed up early to set up the whole uh, parking lot. You tore it down. I mean, you just, you live a generous life. and That's just a little fraction of all the things that you do, whether here on site at this church or in the community. And I'm so gracious that I get to are so grateful I get to pastor a, a generous church, generous individuals. Now, I don't assume that everybody here is generous. You know, that's why we have the Legacy series is because I want to stir generosity up from within inside of you, that, that you would live the life God's called you to live. And, and I want you to know this. I don't expect every person to start their Christian walk being generous. It is something that you learned. It's something that is developed. It's something that God continues to increase in your heart. But here's what I know. Whether you are generous now or you're not, I believe every one of you want to be generous. Like there's a desire on the inside that you would live a generous life, that you would give of your time, that you would give of your talent, that you would give of your treasure, that inside of you is this overwhelming desire to live what I call a generous life. Um, even if you're not generous right now, I'm reminded of one of my sons. When we started this church, he was, he was five years old and uh, for those of you that don't know, we were portable at BF Terry, which meant at the very beginning, all the meetings outside of Sunday were at our house. And so we used our house for leadership meetings. We used our house, I've told you stories of prayer, 5.30 in the morning, everybody pray in my living room. Uh, we used the, the, the house for parties and training and all kinds of different things. Well, in that foyer of our house, we actually had a giving center. Because back then, we did the same thing we do now. Generosity is expressed through your willingness to go to a giving center, scan the QR code in the back of the seat. It wasn't through passing offering plates and buckets. So there was this big, massive giving center in our foyer, and my kids grew up with that. Well, I've been teaching my kids about generosity, which I hope you teach your kids as well. I mean, no, the church should just affirm what you're teaching your children. And so I was teaching my child and my, all of my children about the three envelopes that, you know, really we should have three envelopes. First envelope is God first. We give to God first. The second one is savings. We give to God first. We pay ourselves next. And then third, we spend. And so you can spend that on whatever you want. That's where you pay your bills, whatever you need in life. And so I was teaching him about these three different envelopes and the way we manage money. And uh, he had received some money for his birthday. And so he got the money and then came to me and said, Dad, I want to give to God. I, I want to tithe. I want to give back to God what belongs to me in so many words. And, you know, as a dad, I'm like, wow, it's working. My five-year-old is getting it. Praise God, I'm feeling like a champion. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So we go out to my uh, foyer in the, in the house, and we grab one of those giving envelopes out of the giving center. We go sit down at my desk, and I'm like, son, come on. So I said, write your name right here. This is a giving envelope. So we're going to put it in the envelope, and then we're going to go drop it off in the giving center. So he's doing it, and it's just chicken scratch, but he gets it. 
We write it down, and then I say, well, let's pray over it. So we begin to pray, and then we walk over to the giving center, and my son drops it in the giving center, smiling, everything. He was excited. You could tell there was a genuine joy with what he was doing. And uh, I, I went to the room, told Phyllis, we end up going to bed, didn't think anything of it. Now, while we were sleeping, though, my son goes to my desk, and in the top drawer was the key to unlock the giving center. So he goes in my desk, pulls out the key out of the top drawer of my desk, and goes into the foyer, and he unlocks the giving center. He finds his envelope that has the money he gave to God. He pulls it out, shuts the giving center, puts the key back in my desk. Now, I didn't know this. Get up the next morning, empty the giving center. Hey, where's it at? He said, Dad, I wanted to give, but then I had second thoughts. I wonder if what happened to my son doesn't happen to us, that God speaks to us. We have a moment where it's like, wow, I want to be generous. I want to give back to God what belongs to God, whether it's through tithes or offerings or any other thing. And then what happens is somewhere in that process, we now want to take back what it is that we believe God is asking from us. It happens. And then when that happens, the enemy robs us of what Jesus tells us in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. The blessing of God comes because we are givers, not receivers. Now, how many like to receive something? Anybody, anybody, how many like to receive good gifts, nice gifts? Don't be buying me no cheap nothing. Like, give me something nice, give me something good. I mean, I think we all do, Right. But how many of you have ever given a nice gift? See, when you're a giver, it's nice to receive. That's one level. But what you realize is that's just the base level. If I want to experience true joy, the true joy comes in not just receiving, but actually giving and blessing those that God puts in our life. And I think there's a lot of reasons why we might not do that. I think, you know, for us, we may have a desire to give, but yet you might think to yourself, look, right now is not a time to be generous. Look, I know the economy and inflation, and they're talking about recession. So, so we have a mentality that says, I want to be generous, but now's maybe not the time. I think sometimes it's, I would be generous if I made more money. Like if I made a little bit more money, if I made what so-and-so made, I might give like so-and-so. So there's always this mentality of, God, I'd like to be generous, but I just don't have enough to be generous. I, I think some people would be generous if they had a bigger bank balance, a little bit more extra cash in your account. You know, I think you'd be generous if you had a positive bank balance. <laughs> Right, it's like, come on, I, I just, I just right now, just maybe isn't the time. Maybe a little less debt, you know. Like, God, I'll give, but first we got to pay all this off. And I, I think sometimes we'll give if there was more certainty. Like, if there was just a little more certainty about my future, my job, it's a little uncertain. And God, when it gets more certain, then I'll give and I'll learn to be generous. The problem with all of that is that the enemy uses those thoughts. And those ideas to rob you of the joy of being a part of what God is doing in this earth. That God wants you to be a participator in blessing the world around you. And God wants to use you to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And when we live with the scarcity mentality, a mentality that says there's not enough, I don't think now is the time, I'll do it, but I'll do it later. We begin to rob ourselves of partnering with God to touch the world. 
And it's a way that the enemy uses to cause us to lose the purpose and the destiny God created us for. And it's one of the reasons here as a church, we actually have the core value, generosity. That generosity is a lifestyle. How many know generosity is not a one-time gift? It's not an event that we show up to, but it's a lifestyle of irrational generosity. It's an irrational giving. So, so we live generous lives when we give of our time and talent and treasure. So we come and show up. How many have ever served and showed up to be a part of something, and your friends or your family are like, that's just irresponsible? Wow. Like, I can't believe you serve that much. You're at, they, they'll say things like, you're at the church all the time. Well, yeah, where else would you want me to be? I'm going to go be the hands and feet and, and grab people and help them experience the Lord, whether it's through outreach or on-site. I'm going to come to First Wednesday. Or I'm going to pray. Why? Because I want to be a part of a body. I wasn't designed to live on an isolated island. I want to be a part of what God is doing. We talk about generous and generous people and generosity. What is generosity? If you're taking notes, write this down. Generosity. Here's the definition I would give us this morning. Generosity is sharing what you have to help someone else. That's a pretty simple, pretty simple definition. But I think it allows us to understand that generosity is sharing what you have to help someone else. That in other words, what I have, I'm gonna give and release so that I can bless people that God has placed in my life. And here's what we know, generosity is not something that comes natural. I, I'm convinced the first words that a child learns is not dad or mom or dad, dad, mama. It's mine. You ever been around kids? They barely talk. They're like, mine, 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 mine. Well, from the time you're born, there is something that's like me, I, mine. It's, it's, it's us-centered. But when God saves us, it goes from being us-centered to Jesus-centered. The God of the universe is inside of us, and God is generous. He changes our nature from selfishness and self-centeredness to a one of generosity and outward focus. It comes from a changed life. We begin to take on the nature of God himself. And if we're not careful, we'll let the old mentality, the old mindset stop us from living the life God's called us to live. And here's the mindset that I believe is, you know, causing many of us to miss what God wants. It's the mindset of not enough. Not enough. What do you have? Well, I don't have enough. Think, think about any time in our life when God's asking us to give up our time. Here's what people say. I would serve, but there's not enough time. I would show up for the Harvest Festival, but there's not enough time. I would go and do the first uh, Saturday outreach, but there's not enough time. There's a mentality that doesn't say, how can we get involved? But a mentality that says there's just not enough. I think that mentality is pervasive in our money. God will ask us to give, whether it's in the legacy offering, which coming up in the second weekend of December, or buy someone's groceries, or get a gift for someone, or whatever it is that God is speaking. And the first thing that many people comes into our minds is, God, I would give, but I don't have enough money. Instead of saying, how can I do it? God, you're speaking to me. How can I do what you're asking me to do? Same thing with the resources. God will ask us to give whatever it is, maybe cut somebody's grass or I, I, whatever he's speaking that's not monetary. And then the first thing we say is, God, I can't because I don't have enough. What I have found is this. People with that mindset never have enough. Wow. 
I've met people that have $100, and they say, my $100 is not enough. I've met people that have $1,000 and say, hey, my $1,000 is not enough. I've even met millionaires. And when you talk to them about the resources of God and being generous, what you'll hear them say is, yeah, I know I've got this, but it's not enough. Well, why is that? Because not enough is not an amount, it's a mindset. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. Not enough is not an amount. It's a mentality and a mindset that if we're not careful, we'll begin to live with and stifle what God wants to do in our life to impact the world around us. I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. Paul is talking here. It's the Apostle Paul, and he's sharing with the church in Corinth. And he's going to talk about the church of Macedonia. And really, Paul is trying to change a mentality that has crept into the church at Corinth. A year earlier, let me just set the backdrop. A year earlier, what happens? The, the church in Corinth had committed to give, and they were eager, they were willing, they had great desire, but they didn't follow through with their giving. In other words, just like my son, they, they had some reservations, they had some second guessing, and Paul begins to address what happens with them, and he's going to do it by inspiring them with a story from another church. Look at what happens. In verse 1, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that, has, that God has given the Macedonian churches. So just know this, generosity is because of God's grace. We're asking God more grace. The grace of God is what makes us generous. And look what he says. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty, poverty welled up in rich generosity. Unbelievable. Paul is talking about this church that is in a severe trial. They are broke. They are poor. And yet in the middle of being poor and broke and experiencing a severe trial, they're saying there is an overflowing joy and then there is a rich generosity. So there's no limit to what God's going to do through this church, not because of the state or condition with which they find themselves in, but because of the condition of their soul and their heart. Look what it says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. In other words, nobody stood up and manipulated them, made them feel guilty or ashamed or condemned them or told them if they gave, they were going to get this. It's just out of the generosity and the joy that overflowed from their hearts. And it says entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Could you imagine that? Someone walking into this church being dirt poor, has nothing, going through severe trial, and yet they have found themselves able to give something, but not only what they have, they found others to partake in it. They come and bring it to the church, and they're begging Paul to take it. That's not just coming in and just giving some casual offering. That is someone that understands that there is a generous God that lives on the inside of me, and there is a joy in giving regardless of my circumstances. Can I tell you, there's never going to be a good time to be generous. That it has to come from your heart and something on the inside that says, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it now. And here's what I love. We, we see a people that have so little, they give so much. Because it wasn't about the amount, it was about their mindset. 
And if we find ourselves with the not enough mentality, I wonder if we could switch it from not enough to more than enough. That's the first mentality we've got to have from not enough to more than enough. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly. Everybody say abundantly. That's more than enough. So that's, that's an abundance in your life. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So what I know is that God always gives us more than enough. And where we think there's not enough, here's where I would challenge you. That not enough comes many times because we're looking at what everybody else has. Well, God, I don't have as much as everybody else has. And so you begin to compare what you have with everybody else. You're like, it's not enough. But if we would evaluate our own lives and say, God, what is it that I have? What I have is only, not only enough, it's more than enough. We found ourselves doing this as a church. Uh, I remember Hurricane Harvey. How many remember Hurricane Harvey? Hurricane Harvey came in 2017, and I'll never forget as a leadership team, just before the hurricane hit, we realized Harvey was going to hit. So we gathered all of our lead team, and we met in my office, and we began to plan and strategize on the relief effort we were going to do for Hurricane Harvey. And the question that we had to ask ourselves was, is what we have enough to meet the needs of our city? We knew it was going to be devastated. We knew it was going to be expensive to be involved in a part of the relief effort. We knew it was going to take a lot of work and mobilization. It was going to take everything that we had. Now, what you may not know is that in 2016, February 26, I think it was, of 2016, we bought the old Second Baptist Church over there off Airport Road. And so that had become our hub of ministry during the week. We were still portable over at BF Terry. And as we bought that campus, we were using the margin that was coming in to remodel that campus. And so we operate by 90% principle here at this church. We build a budget based on 90% of the previous year's income. So there's always margin in our operation capital. And we were using that and saving that so that we could remodel the Dream Center and have a fully furnished, fully completed operation hub for ministry. Now we're sitting in this meeting with thousands of dollars in the bank account to do the remodel. And we had to make a conscious decision. Were we going to leverage what we had to reach our city or were we going to save it so that we could do what we wanted to do after the hurricane unanimously? Do we give it? Yep, 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 yep. Do we leverage everything? Yes. That was the consensus. And what would happen over the next couple of months was nothing short of a miracle. If you were here, you were a part of that. Many of you were. How we reached this community in an unprecedented way. The gospel of Jesus was spread. We saw people touched. We saw people saved. We actually saw people healed that were prayed over and ministered to. We saw churches come together that had been fighting. I mean, it was absolutely unprecedented. In fact, here's some of the things that happened. We sent out over 20 boats. They've got even a couple of pictures. We rescued 200 people out of overflooded uh, flooded homes. With, and, and then we actually transported through those boats 150 pounds of supplies to flooded homes. We created two distribution centers. This is what you did. How many remember this? We had one distribution center was in Navarro Middle School. So this is what God did with our not enough, with the all in of what we had we received over half a million pounds of donations. 
We saw over 2,100 volunteers with over 5,100 hours of service through those volunteers. We distributed supplies to over 354 locations across Southeast Texas. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, that was a good place to clap. Here's what's cool, though. God didn't stop there. Here, this is what happened in this building. Many of you, you're sitting in a place where there were pallets of water right here. There was food right here. They had more water and food over here. We had clothing over there. I mean, this place was filled, if you can imagine, five times over. Filled up, emptied out. Filled up, emptied out. When I talk about filled up, that picture that you saw up there doesn't even do it justice. It was all the way from the front to the back. Here's what happened. We received and distributed 1.6 million pounds of donations. Over 2,200 volunteers, 3,900 hours of service, and distributed supplies to over 552 unique locations. Come on, tell me, God, isn't he good? Here's what I love is that in God's economy, when you give, you don't lose anything. You actually get the opportunity to gain being a part of what God wants to do in the world that he found you in. And that's what I love. There's no I give and I lose. You win. And here's what's even better than that, which you may or may not even know this. The money that we had given to the hurricane relief, we didn't have the money to finish the rehab of the Second Baptist Church. And uh, shortly after the hurricane relief, I was sharing a vision Sunday, which I do twice a year, and I was talking about the Dream Center, and God wanted us to, you know, we believe God wanted us to finish the Dream Center, and there was a man sitting in the auditorium who doesn't go to our church, just came this one time. He had served right here in this location, him and his family, doing the hurricane relief, and said, we felt like the Lord told us to come to church. They came to church, heard the vision about the Dream Center, and said, Pastor, he didn't tell me, he told someone else, tell Pastor, our family's going to wire $100,000 tomorrow so that you guys can finish the construction of that Dream Center. And we were able to finish the parking lot. And to God be the glory, it didn't stop there. That man and his family doesn't go to church. You would never know who he is. He came. It was a part of the hurricane relief that God used us to impact the region. Has given just under a million dollars to this church, to this building, to the Dream Center to advance what God is doing through this church. I'm telling you, God's economy, you don't lose, you gain. We've got to not allow the wrong mentality to stop us from experiencing God's best. Here's the second mentality of the mindset that we have to overcome. It's my resources versus their God's resources. Because I, I know what you're saying. You're probably saying, Pastor, listen, it's easy because y'all gave the church's resources. Y'all did everything through the church. And No, 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 no. You got to understand it's not the church versus you. It's all his. Let me say that again. It's all his. Everything we have, whether it's the church, whether it's individually, everything we have belongs to God. And my challenge is that I think you know that, but you don't know that. I think we can say that, but not really believe that. And I'm reminded of David, David in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14. I love what he said. They're building the temple. They're gathering all the stuff they need to build the temple of God. And David was passionate about this. And he calls the people of God to give an offering. And here's what he says. But who am I 
And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? They had actually collected the largest one-time offering in the history of the world. God's people were moved to generosity in such a way to build his temple. And then David declares this. Look at what he says next. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Isn't it amazing how that the king of Israel recognized that we've only given back to God what already belongs to God. There is something that happens, and I, I just want you to hear this. Like, if you feel like you've not been unlocked in your generosity, it's because you don't really believe that what you have belongs to God. At some level, we stay this whole mind mentality, I don't want to give, I'm going to hoard, because we really believe what we have. We earned, we deserved, we got paid for our work, and the truth is, yes, you did, but God gave you the strength in your body. God gave you the intellect in your mind. God gave you the job that you have, and everything belongs to him. And when you recognize and believe that all that I have belongs to God, and I'm a steward of his resources. It changes you. It unlocks the generosity of God inside you. Let me, let me show you. Danielle, let me, let me see this back. Come on, you guys give it up for Danielle. Thank you. Now, in this bag, I just, I just want to demonstrate a little bit of what I'm talking about. I've got money and I've got chocolate. Now, come on. That's, man, that's a winning combination. Come on, somebody. Like, honey, you got it. Money and chocolate. That's all I want. So I want to demonstrate this. The chocolate just represents resources, not money, because I think we've got a lot of resources, and uh, we think that generosity is all about money, but I, but I want to demonstrate something. Philip, come up here. Jolea, would you come up here? Come on, give it up for Philip and Jolea. So, okay, Philip, I'm going to give you the money, and uh, I've got $10 that I'm going to give you, and here's the assignment. You can keep five. But I want you to give $5 away, five $1 to five individuals, and just give it away. Can you do that for me? Find people. Anybody want a dollar? I mean, I know you got some, you're like a dollar. That'll get you a smile. There you go. Come on, dollars. Anybody else? Come on. Look at, Philip, you're too happy. Why are you so happy? Look at, he's bouncing around. Look at that smile. My God. Why are you smiling, Philip? Look, he's... He's making sure he gave it all. He, did you give more than your $5? I think you did. He gave $6. I think I counted six. Didn't you count? You're smiling. Why are you smiling? That was fun. That was, that was a fun. Giving your money away. Giving my money away. You actually gave more of my money away than I asked you to, didn't you? You got so captured in the moment. It was awesome. Now, Joe, look, I'm going to give you two pieces of chocolate. Now, listen. I didn't just make any chocolate. We got Reese's. You know you, you're doing good when you got Reese's. So we got, you can have two. Can you give eight pieces away? Come on. Which two are you getting? Oh, that's a good choice. Come on, I'm enjoying a Reese's. That's it. Look, Brianna's like, praise God. Who wants a piece of chocolate? Come on, raise your hand. Raise your hand. There you go. She go, look, at JoJo's got a pep in her step. Come on, somebody. Are you having fun, Joe? Yeah, why are you having fun? You're giving it away. Is it hard? No? Are you frustrated with me? Why not? <laughs> it's easy to give my stuff away, isn't it? Come on. Philip said, yes, it is. <laughs> I wonder if this isn't a picture of what we would look like 
if what's in your hand really belonged to God. See, I think, and this is the litmus test. When God asks you to give it, are you frustrated? Are you excited? Because if you're frustrated, that means you still think it's yours. You earned it. It belongs to you. But when you begin, that's why it says it's more blessed to give than to receive, because I'm excited. God gave it to me so that I could give the abundance away. Hey, love you guys. Thank you so much. Come on, give me a hand. And it's a real litmus test, and this is what I found. If these guys have done what I asked, which I'll be honest, Philip twice gave more than what I asked. How many know I'm going to give these people more? I'm going to bless them with more. Why? Because I could trust them with what I gave them. Some of us have been untrustworthy with what God gave us, and we keep asking him for more. Here's what I know. If God can get it through you, God will get it to you. But we've got to have the right mentality. The right mentality says they're not my resources, but God, these are your resources. Here's the third and final thing. It's the mindset we've got to change and shift if we're going to be generous is that I'll give when, and we've got to change that to I'll give now. You've heard me allude to it throughout the message today, and we see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 11, this is Paul, and again, he's talking to the Corinthian church, and we're just picking up the conversation that we had earlier, and he is bragging on the church of Macedonia. Now, again, the Corinthian church was eager to give. They were excited to give, but a year later, they had not followed through with what they were wanting to do, and so Paul says, don't give later, give now. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness that you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. So in other words, don't just have a desire to give. Give. Look, if you've got the desire, I'm telling you that's God's grace. Here's my litmus test. Somebody say, well, how do I know if it's God? Well, if you are feeling something come from the inside that I'm going to give I promise you that's not the devil. The devil's not generous. The devil doesn't want you to bless people. The devil wants you to be selfish and to hoard and to keep it all to yourself. And so if you begin to have this idea, this thought, maybe we should participate in the legacy offering. Maybe I should buy that person who's my neighbor some groceries. Maybe I should go and do something special for teachers because teachers rock. Maybe I should buy someone groceries at, at Kroger's and just stand there and see who's in need. I promise you that's not the enemy. And it wells up from within and you've got to realize, hey man, that's God talking to me. I'm not going to do it later. I'm going to do it now. And then I love how Paul finishes that, that sentence. Look at what he says in verse 11. Give in proportion to what you have. So the first portion for Macedonia, he was just saying they were so joyful, they were so inspired, they were so excited, they not only gave what they had, they gave more. He was given the example, but he didn't require the church in Corinth to give more. He just said, give what you have, because that's what God asked for. What's in your hand? What's in your life? What's around you? Can you give what I've given to you away? And again, you're not just trying to give it away just to give it away. I, I don't have a poverty mentality. Come on, sometimes it's like, well, I'm so blessed, I just got to give it all away. No, no, God will bless you, but then what you've got to do is make sure you got your ears open, your eyes open, your spirit open, and when God speaks to you, it's like, okay, God, what I have, I'm going to give away. Yeah. Do what you can, giving what you have right now. 
I heard a story. I actually didn't hear it. I read it, and it so moved me. It's a man named Orville Rogers. Uh, you probably never heard of him. I'd never heard of him until I read an article. And or- Orville Rogers was born in 1917. He was six years old. When he was six years old, his father actually abandoned him and his family. And so he grew up very, very poor. Uh, But as a teenager, at the age of 16, God got a hold of his life, and he developed two passions in life. The first one was his passion for God. He loved God, and he became a Christ follower. The second passion that Orville had was he loved airplanes. He loved aviation. And so at the end of his high school journey, he goes off to the University of Oklahoma and there pursues a degree in engineering. But while he's at the University of Oklahoma, Orville goes and learns how to fly planes. He goes to flight school, begins to learn how to fly planes. He becomes a pilot. He loves it. Well, he graduates from college, and once he graduated, he said, listen, I want, I feel like I'm called to ministry. I want to go into seminary. And so Orville makes plans to go into seminary, to go into ministry, but he gets drafted into World War II. When he gets drafted into World War II, they use him to train pilots that fly bombers in the war. And in fact, he himself would fly bombers in the war. But at the end of the war, he got out of the military. And then he ended up going into a career to fly planes commercially. And he did that for 32 years. I mean, no, that's an amazing career. Flying commercially, things were great, things were good. And he loved what he did. But the day came when he retired. When Orville retired, he decided not to sit on the sidelines of life, but that he was going to volunteer his time full-time to fly missionaries and Bible translators into indigenous people groups so that those translators could translate the Word of God into a language that didn't have the Bible. He did this for decades. In fact, Orville lived to 101 years old. And what's amazing with the life of Orville is that he didn't just give his time. That which he did give, he gave and he gave and he gave. And day after day, night after night, week after week, he would fly those missionaries and fly those Bible translators. But he didn't just give his time. That would have been enough. Orville, actually, he gives his treasure. And what's amazing about Orville is that in his lifetime, he would give 35 million dollars away to his church, to missions, to Bible translation, anything that fueled his passion. Even with the aviation, he bought airplanes that would fly the missionaries and Bible translators into those indigenous people group. He gave of his time. He gave of his treasure. And here's what's more fascinating than all of that. That in and of itself would have been amazing. But they actually went back and studied how much Orville made in his lifetime as a pilot and while he was in the army. 40 years of work, Orville made $1.5 million. A very, very meager Amount of it. In fact, they broke it down. Do you know how much Orville made over his 40-year career? $37,500. $37,500. Well, then what happened? He tells his story. Orville says, when me and my wife first got married, we decided we were going to tithe. That was non-negotiable. We decided right off the bat we were going to give God the first and the best. 
And we did that as we started our journey as a family. And he said, what happened was we began to now say, I wonder if we can do more. And so not only would they give God the first 10%, their tithe, and give back to God what belonged to him, they decided that we can live on less money than we're living on now. So what if we live on a little bit less and we save some money, and then once we have enough money saved, we invest the money. And then whatever we make on the money we invest, we can give that money away. Well, it turns out Orville was a great investor. They invested in companies that you would have heard of, Walmart, in the early days, and so everywhere he would invest his money that he had saved, what would happen is he would save, he'd invest, and then money would come in, and he'd give that money away, and he'd do it all over again. He'd save, he'd invest, money came in, and he'd give it away. That over his lifetime, a man that only made $37,500 in his career was able to give $35 million away. And I just felt like the Lord convicted me, like, what's your excuse? We look at, at our life, and I think we have the wrong mentality. I would do it if I made more money. I would do it, and we could just say whatever it is that stops us, and yet we could just flip the script and say, no, no, God, I, I'm going to do what I can with what I have right now I choose to be a part of changing the world. Here, here's, here's a quote that Orville said that I thought I'm gonna end on. God doesn't just want you to have eternal life. Imagine, this is a guy, not of extraordinary means, but who lived an extraordinary life. He doesn't want you to just have eternal life, which he does. God wants you to have an abundant life. And I would just add to that, it's the overflowing joy of generosity. It's the overflowing joy of just saying, God, I just I want to be a part of what you're doing right now. God, it's, I, just, I want to have a mentality that doesn't say there's not enough, but a mentality that says there's more than enough. Not a mentality that says these are my resources, but God, I want to have a mentality that says these are your resources, not, not just in my head, but really in my heart, that when you ask me to give, I'm not frustrated, I'm not aggravated, but I actually act like Pastor Philip. I, just, I get so excited, I might even give too much away. That's how you know that God's really got your heart, God's got your life, God's got what you have in your life. And that's what I want more than anything for each and every one of you because the, the, the worst part about it is to exist in this life but never be fully alive. God saved you, you're gonna spend eternity with him, but you never come fully alive with understanding the power of living a generous life. And we don't have to wait, just give what you have right now whenever God speaks to you so that we can live a life of legacy.